Hello and welcome to another episode of the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. My name is Dominic Booth and I'm joined by our Chief United writer here at the Manchester Evening News, Samuel Luckhurst, for this one. Uh, welcome, Samuel. How are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. Still still trying to um, come to terms with, uh, with what I saw last night. It's, it's not very often you see that in football, but it's uh, no. it was a treat nonetheless. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Manchester United nine, Southampton nil. It's one of those where you have to write nine n i n e in brackets after the scoreline, uh, just so people <laughs> know that it actually did happen. Um, I had a job last night uh, where I had to do a post-match video, and I just couldn't remember for the life of me without checking every time who all the goal scorers were because there were seven different ones for United. Um, let's take the game as a whole, Samuel. Um, first. I guess it it all changed after seventy seven seconds and the the sending off of Alex uh, Jankovic. Unfortunately for him, on his first Premier League start, but it, it was never going to be the same game as soon as that challenge on Scott McTominay came in. And United took a little bit of time to to find the goal, but it was one way traffic after that, wasn't it? Well, that's what got lost amid the reflection on the uh, the timing of the sending off in the pretty much from. The restart, United should have scored. I think Rashford bungled a chance where he should have shot, but he tried to play it to Fernandes and it was intercepted. And in fairness to Southampton, they weathered a fair amount of pressure for probably the next quarter of an hour. You, you wonder, had United actually scored then, they probably would have got 10 goals. And again, the the officials, I'm, I'm not going to give them uh, the, the, the uh, satisfaction of naming them, but the amount of added time they tagged on at the end of the game was the fact that people are talking about that after a 9-0 game just says it all. It was a preposterous amount of added time when there were, I think, three minutes was probably half the time it took with one of the VAR checks. And then you had, of course, six substitutions, reactions to the five goals in the second half. You're probably looking at 10 minutes of added time. So I think, I think some United players might have come off the pitch a little bit ever, ever, ever so slightly gutted that they, they didn't get 10 goals. They didn't win 10-0, of course. That that club record win of beating Anderlecht 10-0 in the European Cup in 1956 still stands. They've United, that's the only time they've actually won 10-0 in a game. And of course, uh, against Southampton, they emulated the, the famous 9-0 against Ipswich from 1995. But I, I did have some, some sympathy with... Um, with Jankovic getting sent off because it was clear that there was an element of adrenaline involved. It was a terrible tackle. It absolutely, it's probably the only thing Mike, I almost said his name there. It was almost, <laughs> pretty you much the only thing the referee got right all night um, in his haste in sending him off. It was, it was a definite red card. And you see it so many times where a team can be 3-0 up or 4-0 up at half time, and you just see, oh, the second half's going to be a non-event here. They're just going to go through the motions. And I think if a crowd was there for this game, that might have happened. Um, if ever there's a season where a team could actually hit double figures, it probably is this one because you've got that training ground vibe about matches. You've got no presence in the stands. Um, you know, if, if if supporters are going through their repertoire of songs, it might make you casual or play casually. United, I mean, it, it was striking to see just how intense they were from kickoff after they went eight 0 up because they were clearly aware, or someone had mentioned that there's this Premier League record of of winning nine nil, and uh, they went for the ninth. And they they got the ninth. It was 
against Leeds United the other month, they were clinical. Last night, it was just sheer ruthlessness. Absolutely. There's that footage, isn't there, of Scott McTominay after Daniel James does score the ninth, uh, pointing at the ball and telling James to go and get the ball. That's uh, yeah, yeah. a tenth one. I mean, that would have been absolutely remarkable. I guess it's a memorable night in many, many ways, Samuel. Perhaps not a completely vintage game in terms of quality or maybe even the performance from United because it didn't need to be vintage. But I think James said, actually, in his post-match interview, it was a confidence boost for, for a number of players. I'm thinking Anthony Martial, his two goals, James himself. Uh, did, did you see it like that? And that's why United were so aggressive and ruthless in the second half because some players, especially going forward, they needed that confidence. They did. And I and others thought that Cavani had come off at half-time purely because it was a chance. It was, it was a brilliant chance for Marshall to to get his confidence up and get some goals. That was partly the thinking behind his recall against Sheffield United last week. And obviously it backfired. And I think he was recalled against Sheffield United at Bramall Lane in in December, so clearly the intent with those two starts was for him to get goals. His two finishes were were excellent. Um, he, he should have got another as well, arguably that that little dink over McCarthy, which which just went wide. But as as I said earlier, where there was scope to really run right in that game, United did. Again, fence to Southampton, there was a period in the second half where it looked like they they might have got away with a four nil or a five nil defeat. But as soon as that fifth goal went in, and I think it was Marshall who scored it, it really was one of those games where you were struggling to keep, yeah. keep track of what was going on. Um, their, their, their confidence just crumbled again. And of course, they are the team. I know Southampton fans were, got irritated by it when they were live on the BBC uh, for the, the televised game against City a few months ago because there were so many so many mentions of the 9-0 and they're trying to consign that to the past but of course they've uh, you know had another 9-0 drubbing inflicted on them but you you knew that I mean with Daniel James he, it does seem like the only time he will ever come on in the game is when it's boxed off and United are out of sight and of course that's what happened in fairness to him he got got a goal it was a very credibly taken goal as well it was you know, poaching instincts from him but you'd still, deep down, it's difficult to see where he would get a start. I mean, it was it seemed quite incongruous at the time that he was starting in that Leeds game. But in fairness to him, he played very well. He scored. But unfortunately for him, Leeds are just not a reliable gauge of where a player's at or where a team is at. And of course, in the next game, when he started at Leicester on Boxing Day, he underperformed again. He was substituted quite early in the second half. But... As as you said, the performance didn't need to be at its absolute optimum. I mean, I was kind of like a gangway separated myself and James Ducker from the Telegraph, and he he said that to me after full time. It's like the, the surreal thing to say or even dwell on was that United didn't really need to be at their absolute optimum. It, it was just a, I mean, as I said, Southampton just completely capitulated and. Unfortunately for them, as as we both know, when you walk up to the press room at Old Trafford, there are programme covers adorning the walls like a, you know, uh, stag's heads in a in a hunter's cabin of all these great nights and uh, coronation days at Old Trafford. And one of them is the programme cover from the Ipswich game in 1995. So I suspect the next time uh, I go to Old Trafford, there'll be uh, a new addition to the wall with uh, the programme cover from from the Southampton game. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, one, one for the memory bank and one for the history books. Uh, what, what does it tell us, though, about United going forward? We've had this slightly odd period with the, the drop points against Sheffield United and Arsenal. Um, but United have struggled a little bit in front of goal. It, it's uh, something that's been a bit of a problem, apart from the Southampton and Leeds games, all season, especially at home. Do you see United being able to click their attack into, into gear now? I guess the, the performances of Cavani are... are consistently positive Rashford and Martial in the goals Fernandez obviously played his part against Southampton as well do you see United be able to kick on from this now they have the they have the firepower absolutely um, I think in the previous eight games before the Southampton one they had failed to score more than two goals in them and there were a lot of gritty dra- gritty draws or gritty wins during that that run uh, I, I, I I certainly didn't expect United to stroll to victory, um, even you know, at half the level that they did against Southampton. I think Southampton have got actually until the other night, sorry, last night, had a reasonable record at Old Trafford. And whether it was Pochettino or Koeman or um, I think even Richard Pellegrino might have been the manager for, for one game when they drew 0-0. Um, or, of course, in, in the current case of Ralph Hasenhutl, They've almost always given United a real run for their money and, and been been worthy opponents, but that wasn't the case in in this embarrassment for them. Uh, so it, there is the part of you thinks is this just an anomaly? And come the Everton game on Saturday, will it be you know, regression to gritty United? And do they get over the line by the odd goal or what? What what it might be like that? But as I said, with with Greenwood coming back into form, with Rashford's goal-scoring record this season, Marshall getting a couple of goals, Cavani's header, I thought, even though it was a free header, it was such a expert finish and so symptomatic of the way he goes about um, his, his play as a penalty box striker that it was, it was difficult not to marvel at it and Fernandez gets his obligatory penalty. They sh- they should be looking to rack up more score lines, not not quite as of, of the nine nil variety, but there's scope there to be winning games like four nil or five nil. I think certainly in the Leeds one, they really should have got double figures in that game. I think that was possibly a more the the, the goal was more open more often against Leeds than it was against Southampton, but they scored three goals fewer, and that's that's something that stuts gradually starting to come into their play and if you look at some of the wins they've had on the Solskjaer they've had a few five nils in Europe on his first game at Cardiff they scored five in the league for the first time since Bergson's last game um, against West Brom so that was a, a wait of five and a half years but in they, they beat Bournemouth 5-2 I think in July Tranmere got thrashed 6-0 in the FA Cup last season they are starting to regain that habit that they were completely synonymous with when Solskjaer was a player when they did score six, seven, eight, and and not not nine when Solskjaer was there, but obviously they did on, on Ferguson's watch against Ipswich. And there was always one of those results, or almost always one of those results in um in one of the seasons that Solskjaer was was playing for the club. They they had that propensity for it. And he was not just involved in most of them, but he he scored in most of them as well. Yeah, it's, uh, it's the old uh, chant of we sometimes score six and we seldom score ten. United nearly actually did score ten. I guess the expands will take three or four most most games. It's, it's been the the way that uh, United haven't quite 
functioned in the tag that's maybe been concerning for some. And, and Bruno Fernandes, I don't know about you, Samuel, but I, I guess he is still a slight concern. He, he said he's himself that fatigue isn't a, a worry for him and that he's uh, right on his game. He's not quite been on, on the, the heights that he hit previously in his United career. Obviously, just uh, we've just celebrated a year since him signing for the club. Do you... Does Fernandez need to, to sort of go or find a performance like he, he had earlier in his United career? Do we need to see that all Fernandez again? Is there a worry about fatigue, despite what he says? I think fatigue is possibly a bit too strong. Uh, it, was, it was peculiar to see, and I only saw it by his, his agent posting it, that some website gave him a, a perfect 10 score rating from the Southampton game. And again, just how they calculate these things... I've no idea because he clearly was not the best. He probably wasn't even in the top uh, top six or seven players in that United team. He might have been in in, in the bottom uh, bottom one or two or three. Uh, no, nobody played badly, but certainly his impact wasn't like it, it wasn't comparable to Luke Shaw's or Anwan Bazaka's. I thought Cavani was superb for his forty five minutes. Marshall had a great impact. Um, it in some. I think a lot of people were surprised that when you saw Van der Beek and Martial warming up, that Fernandez and Rashford stayed on. Uh, Shaw was obviously taken off, and that that was quite innovative how they moved Fred to left back, even though it did somewhat backfire with his positioning for uh, the, the goal that was chalked off for for Shea Adams. But Fernandez, for him to have lasted the whole game, that that was a surprise. And the mitigation, of course, is that Cavani was forced off at half time. So in the end, United could only rest two players. And Rashford is certainly one who's deserving of a rest. And Luke Shaw probably is as well. I think at the moment, the way Luke Shaw's playing, he's he's certainly a contender to reclaim the Smack Busby Player of the Year statue. Uh, there's there's certainly been a bit of a a drop-off in form from Fernandes, but because he has reached such remarkable heights um, in his first year at United, that you you are willing to cut him that slack. But ultimately, players have to be judged on what they're doing rather than what they've done. And it, okay, he didn't he wasn't vintage Fernandes against Southampton, but he, he did score a goal. I think he got the assist for James's goal as well. Those stats can mask um, a player's overall performance level, but he still came up with the goods. He still contributed to uh, that joint Premier League record win. But it's it's something for them to be mindful of. It, it, it was, as I said, in the week of ahead of the, in the week leading up to the Fulham and Liverpool games, um, it seemed more logical to rest him at Fulham and then bring him back in against Liverpool. Solskjaer actually flipped it, and it was completely vindicated because Fernandez pretty much forced that equaliser in that he reacted so positively to hitting the post. He charged down the left, cross came in, Cavani put it in, and then he came on against Liverpool and scored the winning free kick. So Solskjaer's handling of him has been nigh on flawless, I'd say, up until now. And given Solskjaer's expertise in handling rotation as a player and I think as a manager as well, he deserves an awful lot of credit how he's overseen this period of the last two months uh, since the November internationals, so probably looking at more like three months, it's been so relentless and you do have to pick your team for games a week, sometimes two weeks in advance because United have been guaranteed two games per week. It seems ever since um, the, the, the November internationals ended 
And as I said, he's he's got that knowledge from being as a player of rotation, and he seems to have imparted it to his um, to the managerial side. And there will be a game sooner or later that Fernandez has to um, sit on the bench. I think maybe the Watford game last month that was one where it was just a case of you know stay at home, have a night with your wife and children. But there he was on the bench, trying to feel as involved as possible without actually having a kick. Yeah, it feels like it's quite hard to, to actually wrestle him onto the bench and get him off the pitch. And it was no surprise that he did stay on uh, through the Southampton game. It was much to the relief of me, actually, with my um, fantasy football interests that Fernandez did actually get his uh, goals and assists in the end. It was feeling like the night that, that might elude him. But I guess Donny van der Beek is the, is the man that United will look to to, to come in like, like he did against Liverpool for Fernandez, uh, Samuel. It was a... An interesting 45 minutes for him. It was it was refreshing to see that he was brought on um, at halftime and, and given a bit of a licence next to McTominay in the middle. What did you make of his performance? Was it a, a slight missed opportunity for him or is that a little harsh? No, I think that's a fair assessment. Um, I said to our colleague, uh, Ash, producer Ash, as he's probably known to do as listening yes. to the podcast, but he's, he's on a day off today. Um I said to him at half time because he said, "Oh, you, you should have your match report ready uh, to go before the final whistle." And I said, "I'll be disappointed if it isn't ready before the final whistle." But then, of course, there's the goal glut, there's the VAR fast, there's another red card, there's what Marshall uh, seemed to say to Bednarek. And in the end, despite it being the easiest win uh, since I was I was seven years of age for United. Um, it turned out to be a bit of a frantic one to write up in the end. So I didn't, in, with everything going on, I don't think I was as best placed to actually gauge Van der Beek's performance as people watch on television, which is a ludicrous thing to say, I know, because I had the privilege of being present and watching it. But it, it, he didn't feel that impactful. He didn't seem to really... Um, be the driving force behind um, those five goals in the second half. I mean, Solskjaer unprompted afterwards said um, that De Gea, Maguire, uh, Lindelof and McTominay were the players who were really pushing United on to score as many goals as possible, which I think was a fair thing to say. I didn't see it as much in Lindelof, but um, you know, Lindelof is there alongside Maguire and he has his different way of leading. Maguire is someone who you could probably hear from Salford Keys. He's he's that loud during games. The funniest um, thing that happened all night was De Gea's reaction to um, Shea Adams's goal going in. He was he went absolutely ballistic um, at, at it going in. It looked like he was going to throttle Fred at some point. I, I've I've never seen De Gea that angry even at Anfield last season when I think his. Uh, his protestations over the Firmino goal were so successful, they probably forced VAR to, to overturn that goal, even though it was a bit a bit dubious, the foul that they gave uh, from Van Dijk on him. So that, that mentality, that reaction is extremely laudable. I remember Manuel Neuer going spare after Brazil scored uh, to make it 7-1 and Germany didn't win 7-0 in the, in the World Cup semi-final in 2014. That, that is exactly the attitude you want from your players and Solskjaer, I heard him with, I think it was in the 81st minute saying uh, 10 minutes, get more goals or words to that effect, because he sensed that there were more goals in it. The goal difference needed addressing. They were 14 worse off than Manchester City at kickoff. They've done brilliantly to get it down to, to to get to within five goals of City now. Um, You know, it really did 
Vex Ferguson that they lost the title in 2012 on goal difference and it's almost as if that, that can never ever happen again. They can lose by a big points chasm but they can never lose a title on goal difference. And so with Van der Beek, again, I just found his overall impact to be quite tepid. He got booked. It, it really isn't a surprise, even when there are games that are ripe for rotation or you're expecting changes. It's it's never a surprise if if he's not starting. And all I'd say for him, and I've, I've said it before previously, I, I do think he will come into his own uh, when Pogba goes. Uh, and I know that's obviously resurface today with with what his brother has said and um that comes as no I think it can't be a coincidence he comes out with that after Pogba plays no part in a in a 9-0 thrashing but again I I think with Van der Beek there's an element there's a bit of the Herrera or Mkhitaryan to him in that it, it is clearly going to take time I think it's taken longer than Mkhitaryan um took to really come good really hit his stride for United and it's probably going to take longer than than Herrera did as well. I think Herrera really established himself in February of of that first Van Gaal season. And there was that run of games where he wasn't starting or barely started, which was pretty peculiar to say the least and reflected worse on Van Gaal than it did on Herrera. But if we're talking about Van der Beek like this in a year's time, then it will be a problem. But I I would suspect that we won't be. Yeah, I I think I agree uh, wholeheartedly with that. And it's not... uh... It's not too bad when United are winning games 9-0 and, and Van der Beek's um, pressure's off somewhat, I guess, like you say, the departure or expected departure of Pogba in the summer will uh, say everything. Um, a little bit of transfer deadline day reaction, Samuel. It w- went by without, uh, uh, without any notable news at all, really, for United, which was, um, I don't know if that was good news or bad news for those, those was on the late shift on deadline day, but... Um, I guess Ted Mengi's loan to Derby is a really, really interesting one. He's um, joined up with Wayne Rooney there. It should be a really good experience if you can get first-team minutes. James Garner made his debut for Forest last night while United were, were making hay against Hampton and got rave reviews, apparently, from Chris Hewton and um, Forest fans. Good. What did you make? Good. Yeah, what did you make of those, those young moves in general? Do you think that's um, it's something United have been keen to do, but... It really is a bit, of a, a bit of a gamble. If it pays off, it's 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 massive for those young players. Well, the club have done well in arranging that loan move for Garner because it was clear a fair few weeks ago, maybe a month ago, that it, they they were going to have to terminate that Watford loan because of the change of coach and the lack of playing time he was getting there. Uh, in fairness to Garner, I mean he he did stall on a loan move in the summer for a, a long, long time to the point where Neil Woods, the under-23 coach, was starting to get a bit frustrated by it because there were offers. But in the end, him holding out for as long as he did was justified because he, he got a very good move to Watford. It was just a pity that, through no fault of his own, the, the club sacked the previous manager and um, the, the current coach just didn't you know, Garner's face didn't fit, unfortunately. But going to Forest is hopefully that works out for him. It was good that he he started last night. He's playing for a club that I know they've been out of the Premier League for well, goodness, 21 years. Uh, for, for for people who are as old as me, we kind of still look upon Forest as a, a big club who who should be in the top flight because they used to be in our sticker albums when we were growing up in primary school, but. That's that's a hell of a long time ago. Uh, nevertheless, it's it's still a good club for for Ghana to be playing at. And Chris Hewton is a manager of 
very good pedigree, who's got very good Premier League experience and who is, is very unfortunate not to be managing in the Premier League as well. With Menge, it's an interesting one because certainly with the Europa League games, and if you're just going off what happened in 2016-17, it's very easy for the injuries to start, um, for the physio room, physio's room to start getting you know, packed with players who are unavailable, who succumb to injury after a relentless uh, period in the, in the fixture schedule. And of course, that season that allowed opportunities for Axel Tunzebe and Scott McTominay towards the tail end of it. And I think that might have been the one element of doubt in United's mind or Mengi's mind over this loan opportunity that's uh, come about. But again, it's he's going to a good club, another former Brian Clough uh, club in, in, in Derby County. And the dynamic of being managed by, by Wayne Rooney is an interesting one. So United have... It, it wouldn't surprise me for as long as Rooney's at Derby if if Derby continued to look at uh, academy players at United just by virtue of, of Rooney's association with United. But hopefully Mengi gets the required amount of playing time. It's a good remit for him as well because Derby, are, I know they've improved under Rooney, but they're not safe from relegation. And that's going to be his remit initially, I'd have thought, to, to help Derby avoid relegation. So that's a good test of his mettle. I think physically he looks to have filled out quite quickly for someone who only turned 18 last year. Um, he's He's been far too good for under-23s football for probably the best part of the year, maybe more than that. That was the case with Ethan Laird as well uh, before he went on loan to MK Dons and it seems like he's made a, an auspicious start there as well. And it's important for United because player with Garner, uh, with Mengi, uh, Tahith Chong, those players who came through last season... There has been an element of second season syndrome with them in that their stock isn't as high or it has certainly dropped. I think Chong's race is run at United. I just really struggle to see how he's going to get a look in there again. Obviously, he had his loan switch from Werder Bremen to Club Rouge. And you probably look at the summer, it's either going to be another loan move or possibly a permanent deal. I just I don't really see that happening for him at United. When he has played for the first team, it's difficult to think of a game where he's actually played played well for United. Um, Brandon Williams obviously didn't get a loan, but I think that it was inevitable that he was going to stay as soon as Timothy Fosu Mensah was sold because United needed the cover at right back and given Kieran Trippier's betting ban, they decided to shelve plans for moving for a more, a more experienced uh, and more seasoned right back to, to compete with with Wan Bissaka. So in the end, as as we kind of expected, it was deadline day was a day for some United youngsters getting loan moves. Some did, some haven't. I suppose the upside is the under 23 coverage might be a bit more um entertaining, enjoyable with with someone like Dylan Levitt playing there, uh, which is is beneath him, but that's that's the decision that they've that they've gone with in the end. Absolutely, yeah. It was a deadline day with the emphasis on uh, dead rather than anything else. But um, yes, I, you, you mentioned Ted Mengi as well and Wayne Rooney and uh, you feeling old because remembering Forrest in the Premier League. I think that the fact that Wayne Rooney is now a, a seasoned championship manager or, or getting there, that makes me feel really old having gone to his United <laughs> debut against Fenerbahce uh, as a youngster. Um, Ahmad Diallo, though, he's the other, the other name that I was talking about at the moment. The only January arrival, uh, and even that was uh, agreed in the summer. So probably yeah. you can't really you can't really count him as a January arrival. But 
rave reviews from his debut for the under 23s against Liverpool. Uh, expected to play in the under 23s again uh, this Friday. United play Blackburn at, at Lee Sports Village. We haven't yet seen him in a first team squad, but Solskjaer has said that that is only a matter of time. From the reports you're hearing and what people are saying about Diallo, how long do you think it will be before um, fans get to see him in a first-team squad and, and just how good can he become? Well, it wouldn't surprise me if it's in the Europa League purely because you can name 23 players in a matchday squad and I think 23 players is pretty much Solskjaer's core squad now that Diallo has been added to it um, and, and, and the outgoings with Lingard going on loan, Rojo being sold and Facundo Palestri going on loan to Alaves. So I think Diallo will probably make his debut this month. It sounds like he will play against Blackburn at Lee Sports Village on, on Friday night, which is, is good for our, both of us because we're going to it and it's good for some of the other members of the Manchester Press Pack who intend to spend their night, their Friday night at Lee as well. Uh, it's, a, it's an opportunity to see Diallo in the flesh again, uh, some some had that pleasure at Liverpool last Saturday, and just judging by the the interest in that that game for an under twenty three level standard um, on on a Saturday where there are loads of first team games happening, it shows you just how much interest there is in Diallo at the moment. I remember when I was first told about him, and I mean the the phrase that was used to describe him at the time was that was something like you know he's he's pretty special this lad and. You take those things with a shovel of salt, especially as I hadn't heard of him. But I was fortunate enough to do stories about United's interests in, in him before they actually did sign him on, on deadline day. And you, you just do a bit of digging. You ask people, you know, what, what's the background here? And Atalanta's academy is regarded as uh, the best in Italy. Uh, Dejan Kubalevsky, who is now at Juventus, um, went from Atalanta to Juve about 18 months ago, but spent last season on loan at Parma and has made a really good impact at Juventus this season. Um, he's a Swedish international, so Victor Lindelof will know him well. But it's just exciting that United have signed uh, an actual modern right winger. Um, the irony, is, is, I suppose, is that on, on Wednesday night, Wan-Bissaka and Greenwood were, were excellent. Wan-Bissaka in particular, I mean, he, finally he looked like a proper modern fullback in that he wasn't so much a fullback as a winger and his contributions in the final third were excellent and you couldn't really argue with him being named the supporters man of the match. But with Diallo, Solskjaer's already said they intend to use him as a right winger. That makes um, so much sense uh, given United's issues there. And I, I sincerely hope it, it works out for him. And I say that for, for his own benefit and I say it from a purely selfish uh, perspective because I do not want another summer of writing about Jaden Sancho and United not signing him. And I just think it's got to the point now where United just need to take the principled stance of, you know, look at Diallo, look at Greenwood, look at what the, the strides that Wan-Bissaka has been making the last couple of weeks. Focus on them. You've made those investments. Um, there are other aspects about Sancho that it's, it's difficult to really mention on a podcast about as to why I don't think he's entirely suitable for United but he's his stock and he's he's clearly not as as desirable as he was last year or was in the summer um I, I even think I know it won't happen and I know Sam a bit of a contrarian for saying it but I think there is an argument to say that you could pick an England squad for the Euros without actually 
including Sancho in it. I mean, England are blessed with so many excellent forwards and the vast majority of them are playing at a hell of a level in the Premier League and that maybe puts them at an advantage over Sancho. But if it was a tough... I mean, people were talking last summer, can United sign Jack Grealish and James Sancho? The answer was no, they couldn't. Clearly this summer, they are not going to sign both of those players. And if you had to choose between the two... I would have I would now say Grealish all day long, whereas probably a year ago I'd, I'd have said Sancho all day long. Yeah, it's a very very interesting one, and, and certainly the uh, the rise of Edison Cavani this year, we probably didn't expect to to hit the heights that he has as has solved an issue as well. And and like you say, um, Green was maybe suffered a, an issue or two this season, but it seems to be coming good a little bit more in the last few weeks. We will cover the upcoming game uh, against Everton in a later podcast, I believe. Um, so I guess it's just just last reflections on the Southampton game, uh, Samuel. Where will it sit in the in the sort of annals of United history when you put it alongside, like you say, the Ipswich one, and I guess the Arsenal eight two is another big hammering that you think of, and it's just a shame that that fans weren't there to witness it. I suppose that's that's what I'll take from it. That's what I was thinking, but as I said earlier, it's. It's not to say it wouldn't have happened, but it's almost as if because fans weren't there, that's why it did spiral into a, a nine-nil thrashing. It's there, there's never been a season more likely to host a, a game where there are double figures uh, for goals, whether it's a ten-nil or a five-five or a seven-three, whatever it may be. I think Portsmouth beat Reading seven-four in two thousand and seven, or whatever it was. I think that's the record and certainly in the Premier League here for most goals in the game because there were 11 in that one in, in Ferguson's last there were there were 10 but it, it is it is difficult to uh, you know quantify what the game's legacy is going to be because it was only played yesterday but you know that it is going to get a hell of a lot of reruns I don't know if clubs are still minded to release DVDs um, of, of, of standalone games as as they used to do. I mean, I think Leeds United always used to put out, you know, if they beat United 1-0, that was enough to release a DVD of it, even if the game was played in September, which they, they literally did do in 2002 after um, Harry Kuehl scored a winner. Uh, United have done it a couple of times. I think when United did the domestic double over Arsenal in 4 5 they released a DVD on that, which was slightly small time, even though they were two absolutely brilliant victories um, that are probably still savoured by United supporters who can remember it. Uh, but as I said, I think it, it's it's a fair shout and it's been acknowledged by um, someone at United as well when I messaged them this morning that the programme should go on the wall there purely because it it was a 9-0 win. It, it does stand alongside that, that Ipswich victory in, in 1995. And I think it's only the fourth time in United's history that They've won nine nil, and the first two of them came towards the tail end of the nineteenth century. So uh, whether you're at the game, whether you watch it on television, it was. I think everyone can consider themselves fortunate to to have watched it. Yeah, certainly. I think maybe the the longest lasting legacy will be for for Ralph Aston who now has that awful title of having lost nine uh, nil twice in the Premier League in successive seasons. Um, I think your heart goes out a little bit to him, but uh, United won't care about that. It's um, on to the Everton game for them, and we'll cover that, as I say, in a future podcast. And we'll also um, try and provide you some details about Ahmad Diallo, uh, if, if indeed, as expected, he plays uh, for the under-23s on Friday. Uh, so United, currently, as we record this, 
level on points with Manchester City at the top of the league, but with City having two games in hand. Um, just on, finally on how the title race is panning out, Samuel, uh, before we leave this one, United still a long shot for this. It, it does look like they they are significantly off the pace in terms of football City are playing at the moment and and how it will extrapolate over the rest of the season. You don't particularly expect them to get really, really close and challenge for the league, or, or do you? I think they've got it in them to challenge. I've I've always been hesitant up until now to still not outright identify them as title challengers because it is so premature in the season. And I think that's what I've been trying to be consistent and caution uh, throughout this last period over the last five weeks or so where United have spent quite a lot of it top and they've ground out some very important wins along the way. Unfortunately for them, those majority of those wins came before the halfway point of the season. And as I said, the full-time scenes when they beat Villa and mobbed Eric Bailly because of that goal-bound block, out of context, that looks like celebrations in a game towards the end of the season and the titles within your grasp when, in actuality, it was because Bailly is so popular and the, the, the ways had injury issues. I think he, he felt even more support from from his teammates. But it, it, it again, there was an element of it being a big win as well at the time. And you've heard that at the end of games, the way Maguire's reacted to the final shrill from the referee. Uh, so it, I, it is still very, very early for anyone to call United's title challengers. But because they're in the position that they are, when people listen to this, United may no longer be level on points with City. But I mean, it's it's got to be a source of amusement for United that you see some City fans who can be very paranoid on Twitter complaining about the joint top thing. And Gary Neville was using joint top in reference to United being level on points with Liverpool last month, but in a sardonic way. The irony is that when City um, finished level on points with Chelsea in 2011, the club briefed the players and the staff to say that they'd finished joint second when they hadn't. Their goal difference was inferior than Chelsea's. Chelsea were second, City were third. But City now have got to be in their bonnet, it seems, or some City fans have got to be in their bonnet over the um, the very sardonic mention, I think, of, of joint top when they, they adopted that uh, during Man- Roberto Mancini's reign. I would still say City are favourites to win the league. I think the the experience of not only winning it in 2018, but then retaining it, um, the the investments they made in the summer, the, the transformative impact of, of Ruben Diaz, that puts them in the strongest position to, to win the title. But United have got that squad depth and they've been very lucky. I say lucky, but clearly the medical department have been doing an exceptional job in managing the injuries and they've not had a major injury so far which has been a blessing and has certainly underpinned uh, the form they've shown since since the October internationals so they again I, I, what I'd say is I think they've they can certainly embark on a challenge I would still I think I'd only believe them in them winning the league if they do actually win the league I still think there may be a year too early for that but in a season as unpredictable as this, this might be their one shot because when crowds hopefully come back in and you're probably looking to the start of next season for crowds to be fully packed to the rafters at stadiums, 
Um, maybe the dynamic completely changes. Maybe United aren't as comfortable playing um, in, in stadiums packed with supporters as they have been um, playing stadiums that have been completely devoid of supporters. Absolutely, yeah. And we'll have to, it remains to be seen whether United can mount a title challenge. We will see how that pans out over the rest of the season. Uh, but thank you very much, Samuel, for joining me on this uh, special 9-0 reaction podcast. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Appreciate it as always. And we'll be back for one of these podcasts on the Manchester is Red channel very, very soon. Please leave us a like and a subscribe and we'll be back again soon. Thanks for listening.